Welcome to Firearm Trainers Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and in this podcast, we'll be talking about principle-based instruction. We bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to us by our friends at the FTA, the Firearm Trainers Association. Head on over to their website, ftaprotect.com, to learn more about their instructor coverage and their competitive pricing. One of the things I like about the FTA is that you have unlimited number of certificates of insurance that you can request. Remember, receive a special 10% off by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. That is FTP and the number 10. This episode is brought to you by Mantis X. The Mantis X is a must-have for any serious firearm instructor. The Manus X is a high-tech, lightweight precision sensor that attaches to a gun, analyzes the shooter's movement patterns, and displays all the information in real time on a smartphone or tablet. The Manus X gives instructors objective, data-driven feedback on things the human eye can't see so that they can coach your students more effectively. Get 10% off with code FTP10 at mantisx.com. That's M-A-N-T-I-S-X dot com. Today, we'll be talking with Riley Bowman, the Director of Training at ConcealedCarry.com and host of the Concealed Carry Podcast. Welcome, Riley. How are things going today for you? I'm doing awesome, Rob. You know, anytime I have the opportunity to talk with John Goodman on a podcast, it's a, it's a good time. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. We can't say his name here because he's not getting any royalties from that. But <laughs> I have to sound like him. <laughs> but hey, we really appreciate you making time out of your busy uh, schedule day. I know you've got a lot going on. Uh, there, but principle-based instruction. I think it's really kind of important for our instructors to think about this because we've got courses in a, uh, that we might teach from different training organizations. But no matter who we, no matter whose instruction that we're teaching, even if it's our own, we should really have some principles that we're adhering to, no matter what. Because let's face it, we're we're dealing with some very dangerous things and we don't want to be going along and violating those principles and and enabling somebody to hurt themselves or others also right well you know rob we are firearms instructors right you're right we're teaching people to do dangerous things with dangerous tools and we want them to be the best prepared that they can be for Mm -hmm. you know the, the day we hope actually never comes you know, where, granted, the Firearm Trainers Podcast, I guess, I mean, we could have actually instructors listening that are not necessarily instructors that teach defensive shooting per se, but I, I suspect most of our, uh, our listeners are probably uh, probably defensive-oriented instructors. But, you know, the way I see it is I, I spend my days teaching and, and hopefully inspiring people to be as effective as they could be with a deadly tool known as a firearm. And so I think it's incumbent upon myself as an instructor to provide the best information possible and stuff that's not just hearsay or dogma, you know, of, well, you know, this is the way we've been doing, you know, dogma is basically, this is the way we've been doing it forever. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not really knowing why we do things, the certain ways that we do them, you know, it's, well, that's how I was taught and that's how my grandpa was taught. And Oh, by the way, the 1911s, won two world wars. I mean, like, like that, that's dogmatic, you know, like, okay, whatever, you know, but, but tell me what about XYZ technique or thing 
actually makes sense? What about it makes sense? What about it actually makes it work for a shooter in a, particularly in a defensive context, um, but really any context, because if we, if we're also talking about students that are being taught by instructors that are just teaching marksmanship skills, there's still things that are taught that are very dogmatic mm-hmm. that don't necessarily, again, show the, the, the why behind why we do those things. And so uh, in my own personal journey as an instructor, I've sought to really seek after what I would call truth. What's the truth about how you grip, hold, press trigger, you know, manipulate a firearm? What's the truth about various tactics as they relate to certain defensive contexts? And, you know, it's, it's sometimes hard to say what is truth and what isn't truth because there are a lot of subjective things in the firearms world as well. But where we begin to start, particularly on the tactics side, I mean, we, we have all kinds of evidence from surveillance videos, from officer-involved shootings, from dash cam videos that show us some things. This, you know, in, some, in certain contexts, this is how it actually plays out. You know, when somebody's trying to kill you and you got to defend yourself with a gun. And so, well, maybe being concerned about having the perfect stance and a perfect form in shooting maybe that's oh, not, you know, not the best use of time. Like that would probably be the first example that I throw out there that a lot of times as firearms instructors, I'm, I've, I'm guilty of this. Mm-hmm. At one time I started as a lesser experienced instructor and I went through a lot of the same training schools and training school dogma. And this is both NRA as well as law enforcement post academy mm-hmm. type stuff. Cause I'm a post instructor where it's like, well, how do we teach somebody how to shoot? We start with stance. What, what, what point does stance make? Like, <laughs> because look and at probably any, with Weber too, right? Uh, <laughs> stance. Right. You know, I mean, look at almost any officer involved shooting or any surveillance video uh, that's out there of even civilian shootings. And who is standing in a perfect isosceles or perfect Weaver stance form? Exactly. Almost nobody. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's so, because, you know, what they're shooting around, that they're in, in a car or they just got out of the car, you know, any, any number of circumstances that they can't control. And they're somewhere supposed to be able to, you know, get their feet just in a certain spot before they think about, you know, drawing and defending themselves. That's right. That's very dogmatic. You know, <laughs> you, there, you know, to be fair, there are a few examples, but they are the exception rather than the rule. And I would almost argue that any cop that's standing there in that perfect isosceles form out in the middle of no no man's land, you know, meaning he's wide open, he's being he's not being very smart. <laughs> he's making himself a very good target. Not good so, tactics. That's for sure. So so that's what I mean when I talk about principle based instruction that. Uh, I, I no longer really refer to stance in my instruction as, as an instructor. I don't spend time in a class teaching students about stance. Instead, we focus our time on platform, on a shooting platform. Now, you could sit there and be like, well, it, maybe Riley's just talking about semantics here. I'm not. I, I don't really spend a whole lot of time talking about what you're doing with your feet or knees or hips. What I care about is that you are balanced. Like that's the, probably the first and foremost thing that the way that you are 
holding yourself physically is balanced, that your center of gravity is placed appropriately so that you can maintain that balance. And then the way we grip a firearm has far more about uh, has far more of an impact on how we shoot the gun. And by grip, I think rather broadly, I, I don't think we, it's fair to talk about grip and only focus on the hands. I think it really starts from the shoulders on down to the hands. And so, um, yeah, shooting platform, grip, arms, upper body in particular, but really the key is uh, that if we're going to, if we're going to talk about stance, then I would say we should talk about having a fighting stance because a gunfight is a fight. Mm -hmm. And so if there is a stance, it could look like a lot of different things, but principle-based training would be that whatever position you find yourself in, you are balanced, you are able to move, you are able to react, you're able to defend yourself effectively, meaning you're not on your heels and you're going to go over easily, that sort of thing. That's principle-based as opposed to the dogma is stand here just like this, do this, hold your arms like that, right? Mm -hmm. So we got to be focused, I think, on principles. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the one thing, the principle that comes to my mind when you want people to have a good stance is you're in the middle of a fight. That means that you're not going to sit there like you are on a regular two-dimensional range and shoot you might have to all of a sudden bolt and move that's you right go to another cover do different things like that and if you don't go along and instill that into your students to, to why they need to be balanced and be ready to run at a moment's notice all of a sudden the, you know the one guy you're fighting all of a sudden turns into three well guess what maybe it's time to get out of dodge you know yeah. as they say or you know that person all of a sudden gets behind cover now you've got to duck behind cover type of thing i mean it's it's going to be a long drawn out fight, but we need to give our students those, the, that basis to really understand why they're doing things. Because if we just tell them, Hey, keep your elbow tucked in tight, keep that firm grip and your feet evenly spaced. What's going to happen when, when that paper target down at the other end of the range that they're normally shooting at all of a sudden turns into somebody who's going to be shooting, that's going to be shooting back at them. And they are flat-footed because they hadn't really thought about, hey, i got to be moving if things change or I'm going to be reloading. I don't want to be standing there in the middle of a hallway and reloading my gun all at the same time. All yeah. those kind of uh, pieces and giving our students the best possible information. Yep, you're, you're right. Now, let me, uh, let me talk to you about another example. Uh, and, and so really kind of the way I see this today, talking about principle-based instruction, uh, my goal would be to actually bust some myths about some of these uh, topics. Um, so we just talked about stance. So let me, let me give you another one. Who here, <laughs> this is obviously rhetorical because everyone listening is going to be familiar with what I'm talking about here, but who is familiar with the classic trigger control diagnosis chart? You know, the target that you have a circle in the center and then, you know, your low left for, for a right-handed shoot, you're slapping, yeah, you know, the, trigger, slapping the trigger, too much finger trigger, trigger finger, too little trigger finger, mm -hmm. anticipating the shot, healing the gun. There's all this stuff all around the circle on this diagnosis target thing, right? Uh, that's another one. When Every time I see that thing come up, I'm just like, please, no, no. Just take that, go put it in the shredder, shred it, forget about it because there's so much wrong information on that chart. Seriously. Let me give you the, 
one of the better examples of this, and this will kind of translate into trigger control because that, that's really what that chart's all about. But here's the, here's the best example. When we talk about trigger control. I see, because I see it quite regularly. I spend enough time on ranges and I see enough other instructors. I see this come up all the time. Somebody's shooting an instructor either by looking at a target, which is the absolute wrongest way to do this, or by looking at the person's trigger finger, they go, hey, it looks like you're using too much finger or you're using too little finger. And what I say to that is if we're going to be principle-based, then that means we need to look at the principles involved and we need to look at what the trigger finger is doing. Okay, so the idea is that too much trigger finger, uh, you're going to have trigger finger, you're going to have part of your finger maybe in contact with the frame of the gun that could cause some, some movement in the gun. Uh, and, and also the way that finger may tend to move, maybe you're going to actually push the gun a little bit to the left. This is in the case of a right-handed shooter, right? So too much trigger finger, you may be doing that. Um, too little finger, you know, can have this other effect. I don't know. I see, I see it, this stuff all over the time, all, all over the place. Um, I did a, an episode each week, you know, I do this uh, segment on the concealedcarry.com uh, Facebook page called shop talk. A few weeks ago, I talked about this and I demonstrated using the mantis tr uh, training system, right? You, you're familiar mm -hmm. with mantis. Yep. And, uh, I, I, I demonstrated how I could still score mid to upper nineties, Okay, these are just doing single trigger presses, mid to upper 90s, a perfect score being 100, of course, mid to upper 90 scores using the very tip of my trigger finger, using as much trigger finger as I could, and then going to that, that position that most people think of as being the ideal position. And, and so it, when we talk about principles and principle-based, well, gosh, if I can shoot that gun just as effectively demonstrating all these different finger placements, then this whole deal about finger trigger finger placement on the trigger is a bunch of BS, right? And, and, and the reason why that is is because it's far more important how the trigger is pressed than what we do with the finger to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. In other words, I can train my finger to learn how to press that trigger straight to the rear on the very tip, and I can train my finger to learn how to tr press that trigger straight to the rear if I stick my finger, you know, all the way through the trigger guard. So that's that's the key. So the principle there is is learning and focusing on w what's important. Learn how to press the trigger straight to the rear. Now that's a little bit harder though, of a concept though sometimes to to share with a student. So instructors are lazy or they just don't know any better. That's, that's a more likely explanation. And, and just simply say, well, if you place your finger here on the trigger, then you're going to be able to press that trigger straight to the rear. Mm -hmm. but, but, but it's more important to actually spend some time and think of how we can explain to a student, well, how can we, you know, how do we press the trigger straight to the rear? How do we press that in such a way it doesn't disrupt the alignment of the sights of the gun? So we make the most accurate shots. So that'd be another example of, of what I see as dogma in the industry, this whole trigger finger placement and, and you know, that sort of thing. That, that, that's all a myth. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's based on a small nugget of truth, I'm sure, you know, when somebody came up with it. But it's not the end all to diagnosing and fixing everybody's uh, shooting problem. That's where you got to understand the process more and the principle behind it than actually, you know, try to think that just changing the trigger finger is going to make you a, you know, Olympic shooter. Yeah, well, to be fair, biomechanically, placing the trigger in that kind of middle soft pad of the finger of the index finger is probably the most ideal location to accomplish the goal of pressing it straight to the rear. But again, I see students that do just that and they don't get the desired result because they're, they're not focused on how they're actually pressing that trigger. The trigger is a lever and the finger is working as a lever and we, and we can look at it and analyze how that finger interacts with the tri- with the trigger lever and, and how that can accomplish the goal of pressing straight to the rear. Definitely. Yeah. So anyway, that's, uh, uh, thanks for letting me get that off my chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so besides, what other myths besides uh, stance and trigger control or myths are we going to bust today? Yeah. You know, so um, here would be something else too, would be actually about the grip. All right. And to kind of segue into grip, I'll actually start by saying one of the biggest problems people have with so-called trigger control is actually probably more of a grip control issue. So, and then again, this is why even that chart I referred to, the, the trigger control diagnosis chart, whatever, I don't know what the thing's mm-hmm. called. I've washed that out of my mind, you know, so long ago now, I don't even remember what the heck it's called. But, uh, you know, there's this, there's this one about slapping the trigger and all this stuff and how that you're going to go down and left if you're a right-handed shooter or down and right if you're a lefty. But uh, while slapping the trigger is not ideal, I would just present to you as evidence a couple of examples of shooters that slap the trigger but are still very accurate. Guys like Rob Latham. Yeah, first one that came to my mind too. <laughs> Jerry Michalek. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, I could think of a bunch. Okay. But Chris yeah, Reno's the same way too. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. so if you take, especially slow-mo video and video, any of those guys shooting even remotely fast, they're basically like the classic wow. definition of slapping the trigger is what you'd be seeing. That's the funny thing is we could take close up shots of Rob Latham's trigger finger where you don't see anything else. You just see a bit of his hand, a bit of the gun, and his finger there on the trigger working it, basically slapping at it, and film that in slow motion, put that up on a screen in a firearms course, and everybody there would be like, oh, my gosh, look at him slapping that trigger. But then you'd bust everybody's minds wide open if you showed a picture of the target and see that all the hits were good hits, Mm -hmm. and then show up a shot of his face, and you go, oh, that's Rob Latham. Right. And like, oh, you know, <laughs> because, no wonder he's shooting so good, but he's got a unique <laughs> style that he's made work for him. Well, the truth is, any of the world's top shooters pretty much slap the trigger when they're when they're shooting, especially when they're shooting fast. But the thing is they're they're so called slapping it in a way that's not disrupting the alignment of the gun. Right, because they've learned so well how to work that trigger finger independently of the grip of the hand, the rest of the hand, mm-hmm. 
that it doesn't have an effect. And so that's the key. So we spend all this time talking about trigger finger placement and not slapping it and prepping the trigger and trapping it to the rear after the shot and then resetting and all this stuff. And we, we completely do a disservice to the idea of training the student to learn how to isolate the trigger finger from everything else in the hand. And so, and some of this, you know, gets it. I mean, we could talk about grip pressure and all these things, but, but the bigger thing here is that it takes time and it takes practice to learn how to do this. And I'm wiggling my finger back and forth for those, obviously that, you know, you're listening to a podcast here. Yep. Audio <laughs> podcast, not video. <laughs> yep. So, you know, this is where it's at is learning how to isolate this guy from the rest of the hand, my index finger from the rest of the hand. So that, that's the, that's, again, talk about principle-based instruction, that's where we should be focusing our time and explaining to our students. You need to learn how to isolate this. Now, there's some ways that that we could do that. Um, Some of it, though, is just frankly spending time on the trigger, right? Mm -hmm. And and, and you can't have uh, enough time usually in a day in a class teaching, working with students to be able to actually learn that 100% 100% in a class. It's not really the, the place that they're going to be able to learn that, but you can show them what it looks like and you can show them techniques about how to achieve that. All right. So again, I, I, I kind of started by saying grip is, I, see, I see that kind of issue, the whole so-called jerking or slapping the trigger. That's more of a grip issue than I think it is a trigger issue. Uh, because I think it's entirely possible that someone has a really good trigger press as far as meaning that they do what I described earlier, press the trigger straight to the rear, but in so doing, the rest of the hand compresses, okay, tightens, and that leads to that slight downward and inward jerk at the time the trigger is being pressed, and that's a grip issue. That's not isolating the grip of the hand from that trigger finger. So, um, again, about grip, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on another thing that's a little bit touchy for me. Grip angle is sometimes, this is not necessarily an instruction thing per se, but it's something that comes up frequently and people start talking about, well, a Glock versus a 1911 versus a SIG versus all these other guns and how they have different grip angles and how that might have an effect on you know, a certain shooter or whatever. But the reality is grip angle doesn't mean anything as it relates to shooting a gun effectively. Now, one thing may feel a little bit better or a little bit more natural for a shooter, but it it, it could be trained, okay? So I used to be a big, you know, kind of 1911 grip angle style shooter Mm -hmm. and always thought the Glocks felt weird and strange. But eventually I overcame that just through training because I started carrying a Glock as a duty weapon because that's what everybody else was carrying as police officers. And so I was like, well, I got to learn how to shoot a Glock now. And it felt weird and awkward, but you put enough time into it. And it's not like it even took all that much time, honestly. I probably spent a couple of range sessions, and then I was doing just fine. And it, it, so where I'm going with this, grip angle, all that stuff, put that aside. Okay, let's talk about another thing grip-related or kind of – firearm feel related. And this is one that comes up all the time. I, this is one that I know for a fact, instructors, Rob, some instructors anyway, not you, 
<clears throat> some instructors will talk about how important it is that a gun feels good to the student, that it feels good in the hand, that they're going to perform better with a gun that feels good. But again, we're not talking about sitting behind the wheel of a car, you know, where we got to drive 12 hours. We're talking about a tool you know, meaning that I need to have a comfortable seat and, you know, the, the angle of everything as it interfaces with the steering wheel and how I hold it and how I drive and how I reach the pedals and all that. Like that's far more important, especially when I got to drive something for hours and hours and hours and hours. We're talking about shooting a projectile that lasts a millisecond. And maybe we do that over a few minutes or maybe we do that over a few hours in a training course. But shooting a gun, it's just a tool. It's just a tool. Like how a gun feels in your hand shouldn't mean diddly squat to how you actually shoot it. Now, I know I'm probably going to get some hate mail over this, but because it could be argued that, well, if it feels good to the person, well, yeah, okay. If it feels good, it'll probably shoot it better, I suppose. But I haven't been able to see anyone prove that to me. <laughs> Again, it's because it's very subjective. All I care about, Rob, is results. And results mm. are, the target doesn't lie, right? Right. Rounds on target where we want them to be placed, that's all that matters. And whether that gun feels good in your hand or not, honestly, just because what, what, what helps us get that round on target? Executing the basics. Yeah. Grip. Sights on target. Right. So, the, so the gun is aimed. We press the trigger in such a way that it doesn't disrupt that, that alignment of the sights. And then the grip is somewhat involved in that process too, because we've got to be able to grip and stuff to, to align things with the, with the target in the first place. So we, we got to grip the gun, aim it, press the trigger so it doesn't move. We do that, we're going to accomplish the job. Right. It's just a tool. Now, no, if, the gun happen, if the gun happens to feel good to you too, great. But it shouldn't really matter as it relates to the quality of the shooting. Now, I'm not talking about fitment to the hand, by the way. I'm talking about feel. As a difference, right? And by fitment, we're, we're saying, you know, somebody with really small hands trying to work a double action trigger on a SIG 226 or something, that that could be an issue where they can't reach the trigger or something, right? That, that's different. That's fitment. I'm talking about feel. Feel should have nothing to do with how we get the job done. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, I agree. I Started out in 1911s, just like you said, and moved my way up to clocks. And I've shot a lot of different things in between time frame that students have brought to classes. And they haven't been able to hit something. And then even if it's, it's too small of a gun for my hand, I can still show them, hey, it shoots. You know, if you go along and put the sights on target, you go along and have the proper grip and you press the trigger properly, it'll shoot. And then that gives them the confidence to get back and work with a little bit more. I mean, there's all different kinds of styles and brands of uh, pistols from, you know, hundred dollar uh, guns up to, you know, several thousand dollar guns. Should we shoot them differently? No, we should shoot them all the same, doing the same basics. And, you know, it's how well we can execute those basics that we really need to, from, from a principal standpoint, understand that because if we go along and think that the gun's going to make a different gun's going to make you a better shooter one way or the other, you've got to have the basics down pretty solid before a piece of, you know, metal is going to change how, how you shoot. 
Yeah. And so kind of, kind of to, to wrap all that up that I just elaborated on for like 10 minutes would be just to say this, that at the end of the day, you know, as it relates to what we want our students to accomplish. And again, most of what I do is in the defensive realm, as far as training is concerned. I, I care about performance of shooters, of students in a kind of, in a defensive context, because I really care about people being prepared and trained and ready and willing to be able to stop violent attacks on them or their families or other people they care about. So to, to summarize a lot of this, again, being focused on principles, we need a solid shooting platform. We need a good grip because recoil management is important and grip has more to do with that than anything. Mm -hmm. We need good trigger mechanics, meaning, and, and, and we don't need to overthink that. The only thing that really matters with trigger mechanics is that that trigger is pressed straight to the rear. We need it to be isolated from the grip, the trigger from the grip, and then we need the ability to see and align our sights and place them on target. And if we can do those five things, then chances are our, our students are going to accomplish the job. Good shooting platform, grip, straight trigger press, isolating trigger from the grip, sights on target. So if I was going to rewrite the instruction manual today, you know, Rob, that everybody's familiar with, especially if you've been through NRA curriculum, where mm -hmm. you talk about these seven shooting fundamentals, and what are those? Well, we've got stance and sight alignment, sight picture, trigger control. Uh, I know I'm going to probably miss them because it's been so long since I really focused on them and taught them. <laughs> uh, breathing, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, follow through. I know I missed one there somewhere, though. But anyway. Like if I was writing the, the fundamentals, it would be the five things I just listed to you because that's 95% of what a shooter needs to get the job done effectively. And if they do that, they're going to succeed. And 95% of what it would take to get the job done with any gun. Yes. Back, back to what you were talking about with feel and different things like that. I mean, it's, it's nothing special. It's you do those five with any gun and you can shoot it. I mean, from anywhere from a small derringer all the way up to, you know, a full size, um, you know, double stack mm -hmm. uh, kind of gun. As long as you can reach the trigger at least reasonably well. Yes, I agree with that because while I don't necessarily like shooting small guns with my somewhat largish hands, you know, so we could talk all day long about how, well, that gun doesn't fit my hand because it's too small for me. Gosh, well, that's going to make it so much harder for me to shoot it. Well, everybody knows shooting smaller guns is harder than shooting bigger guns as, as far as the accuracy side of things is, is, is considered. Uh, but uh, I guess what I'm trying to get at is there's all these things we like to talk about. And I sometimes see instructors talk about these things with their, with their students. And they create essentially a list of excuses of crutches where a student can sort of place their blame for why they don't shoot that good, mm -hmm. you know? And, and, and so we need to be careful and cautious with that. All right. Yeah. And so, us as instructors shouldn't be giving our students crutches. So we should be giving them ways of improving their shooting. That's right. That's right. Sure. Stuff that's proven and shown to be true and, and not just stuff that we think is true but stuff that's actually true. And again, the target never lies. Now, now and, and to that point, so I'm, I'm 
somebody out there listening is probably like, well, this Riley guy is sure, you know, high and mighty, you know, sitting on his high horse saying all this stuff. And, uh, but I've had students come through that are able to get the job done with less than ideal fundamentals and mechanics and all that stuff. Yes, I have to. And you know what? My approach as an instructor, Rob, is, hey, this and this and this because of these reasons, right? So if I'm talking about, say, like grip, I'll show them why the grip as I teach it works against the natural recoil impulse of the gun, okay, which is going to help them enhance their recoil management. I'll show them why this grip as I teach it is a, is more effective than what they're currently doing. And I'll explain why. And that's the important thing is explaining the why we do things certain ways that we do them. But then there's still those students that will struggle with that or that just simply don't want to try to anything different. And that's okay. I will explain and then I'll move on as long as they're being successful. I, I, I've seen that before where students do things that are just really wonky and they get the job done and you just got to step back and say, hey, yeah, uh, Rob, uh, they hit the target. They got the job done. It's, is it ideal? No. And, and I, I know they could be even better than they currently are if they maybe made these tweaks and were willing to listen to what you're trying to suggest to them. But they got the job done. Okay. You know, and you just have to move on because you can't sit there and, you know, waste time on the range. So, um, and I think that's important as an instructor too, to recognize those, those moments where it's like, well, we can only do so much. And we can explain the whys and the reasons all day long, but when, if they're not accepting them or they're not able to make or implement those changes, yeah, and, and sometimes it's because there's uh, maybe physical limitations too. You mm-hmm. know, I've had guys that have had uh, you know broken wrists and wrist surgery and stuff, and they can't they can't angle their their wrist. They can't do that thumbs forward grip like I'd like to see them do because it does help with recoil management, but they can't bend the wrist that way. That's okay. Mm-hmm. We got to work with those physical limitations. Definitely. Well, Riley, you've given us a lot to think about from instructors for us to really rethink what principles we're teaching from and everything. So I really appreciate your time today. If people want to find more out about Riley and concealedcarry.com offering, where can they find that out at? Well, concealedcarry.com is pretty, pretty straightforward, right? <laughs> I guess I, I said that already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that's our website and that's where everything's at. Uh, we have the Concealed Carry podcast, which is a twice a week podcast uh, that uh, I host and, uh, and of course this podcast, the firearm trainers podcast is part of, of that family of podcasts all under the concealed banner. And we're proud to have you as part of this family. And, uh, you know, we were excited when you came to us with the idea to create the firearm trainers podcast. We think it's a great show with a lot of value for instructors out there. So, so I want to let you know, you're doing a great job and we're glad to have this as another asset under our banner. And then uh, I would just uh, say that we do have some some uh, training opportunities coming up. Uh, you're always welcome to check out our list of classes from our entire sh- instructor network, of which Rob is a part at class.concealedcarry.com. And if you're interested in coming and training with myself, and my business partner, Jacob, we actually have an instructor level course uh, coming up at the end of this month. It's, I think it's the last weekend of August. And that's really open to instructors in our network but who's to say we couldn't add you to our network and have you come through this really great uh, training curriculum for instructors. Uh, and that, that is uh, at the end of, of the month of August here. So excited about that. 
And then also uh, we've got some other just regular training courses uh, out there as well, including here in the Denver area. Um, yeah. So thanks again, Rob. Appreciate you uh, having me on and, and letting me be part of uh, your podcast today. Thank you, Riley. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. And we have a few requests for our loyal listeners. First, visit our sponsor at Firearm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor coverage. Being a responsible instructor means that you'll have coverage for yourself and your students. Remember, use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. Share this podcast on your social media. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and let us know what, what you're thinking by leave us a review. If you have any questions, input, feedback, or just want to talk to somebody late at night, please email us at FTP at concealedcarry.com. Remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, train well, and remember your principles. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.